This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Nick Loper here from the Side Hustle Show. When I'm not helping people earn money outside of their day job, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're talking about my favorite thing, people who are experts in birthdays, because they've had a lot of them. Help us welcome a fascinating guest who's innovating in elder care and basting. Plus, are you interested in taking a risk, maybe starting a job or a new business, but nervous about failure? (laughs) Join the crowd. Well, during our headline segment, we'll discuss some lessons on failure from world-renowned serial entrepreneur, Sir Richard Branson. Plus, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Adam, who has a question about fund selection for a target date fund. And of course, there will be room for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who are a step closer to needing elder care themselves, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Not if I have anything to do with it. You really don't want three square meals a day and uh, television on arranged activities already you don't want any of that shuffleboard at two o'clock that i'm i'm i think i'd be great ladies and gentlemen our shuffleboard tournament is now beginning i don't know I'm make all your for way it. to the shuffleboard area hey welcome to the don't knock it till you try to podcast i'm joe so see how i average your money on twitter and across the card table from me the shuffler in this shuffleboard of a podcast Mr. i OG. am uh kind of all over the board today but here i am reading a article of uh, the financial sector spider ETF. Fantastic. Real quick. Living the dream. Quiz question. Number one holding in the financial sector spider ETF. Don't look it up. No cheating. No cheating at home. What do you think? In the financial sector? There's top, I've got the top 10. So just kind of real quick. Well, it's uh, JP Morgan Chase. Yeah, JP's in there. Yep. There it is. Oh, they're not number one, though. Oh, they're not number no. one. All right. No, they're number uh, two. Uh, Goldman Sachs? Goldman Sachs is in there. Yep, they're 10th. Okay. Uh, Your favorite bank? Oh, <laughs> Bank of America. Your second favorite bank? Wells Fargo. There you go. Amex, CME Global. Fidelity? Uh, is Fidelity in there? Fidelity is privately there. traded. Oh, yeah, that's right. Come on. Yes. Uh, City Group, number one. Try to keep up. Number one. The number one financial company in the entire world, apparently. Citigroup. Berkshire Hathaway B. Duh. Course, you think of them as a financial company? Not, well, I should have because of all the insurance stuff that he does. And he owns 10% of American Express, yeah, and Wells Fargo. Yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought they sold part of their Wells yeah. Fargo, anyways. Do you want to keep rambling or do a show? 
No, hey, we got a great show today, but the first thing we have to say is a big thank you to Student Loan Hero. Ready to pay off your student loans? We thought so. Get your custom repayment plan today and see how they can lower your interest rate, help you decrease monthly payments, and find forgiveness at studentloanhero.com for more. We got a great show today. Ann Basting is uh, one of the foremost experts in changing elder care, OG. Here's the interesting thing. You know how when Tony Robbins said you hear one guru say something it might be just their thing their shtick mm -hmm. but you hear several different gurus say something you know that's probably a you truth. should make a podcast out of oh sorry what did they say what's amazing is is that we have had organizational experts say this thing we've had business experts say this now an elder care expert is going to talk about the same thing what is it Oh, what are we going to talk about? You have to listen to find out. I Isn't that a great hook? I am on the edge of my seat. It's a fantastic hook. But first, we have headlines. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. What could possibly go wrong here, OG? Investors find new safe place to hide. Guess where it is? Behind the sofa, you think? You think it's behind the sofa? This is written, by the way, by Anna Hertenstein. Oh boy. Um, safe haven. There's a little tongue in cheek here. That's what I think they're going with this. I'm going to say their safe haven is Tesla call options. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Based on what Elon Musk said in May, by the way, remember May, he said he thought Tesla stock was too high. He said that he did. Do you remember when he tried to take the company public at 420 a share <laughs> private? I mean, he tried to rebuy it private at 420 a share. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, no, not Tesla. Not Tesla call options. Okay. How about Chinese bonds? Oh, the safe haven of all safe havens. Oh, of I didn't even think. Yes, that fully disclosable country over there. Yeah, there. The first place I go when I'm looking for safety and transparency. Safety and transparency. China. China. Anna writes, investors seeking shelter from the turbulence in markets have found a new haven, Chinese sovereign bonds. Ah, perfect place to put your money. It's amazing to just keep ticking. Because uh, we don't have a really transparent market. Foreign capital flowed into locally denominated Chinese government bonds in the second quarter at the fastest pace since late 2018, according to data from CEIC, an economic data provider, surpassed 4.3 trillion yuan, that's $619 billion, the highest on record. International ownership of China's debt has been on the rise in recent years as Beijing has made it easier to buy and sell after the securities were added to key bond indexes beginning in 2019. I think we need one of those. You get that fancy little doohickey right there where you get to control the voice modulation. And, you know, I think we should have a button that says that's like Dave from Tennessee going, that's just stupid. <laughs> well, here's why people are doing it. It's because there's the dude. benchmark 10 year bond yield 3.118 <laughs> versus 0 0.597 in the US and 0 0.023 in Japan. And by the way, minus. Negative interest rates in Germany, 0 0.515. <laughs> it also is comical in its own right. I can lose money in Germany. Safely. All right, so let me get this straight. If I give you my $100, you're going to give me ninety nine fifty back. Yes, sir. Correct. Perfect, I'm in. That's so safe. I'd rather safely lose 50 cents. That's all it takes? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess this just goes to show how people don't understand the concept of risk and return because... Would you say, would you say the number was 0.5 was the U.S. 10-year? 
at the time of this article? 0.597. So you're getting 6x the return? Close, yeah. Yeah. Close to 6x. What does that tell you about volatility or perceived chance of them not paying? I mean, you just think about it. Just This is the same thing as it is with different layers of debt that you have in your own personal life. You know, when people look at yield, they look at it and go, I found a stock that's yielding 11%. That's awesome. It's like, well, hold on a second. Let's think through that a little bit. Why is Berkshire Hathaway or Apple or Disney, why are they not yielding? If 11% so great, how come they're not doing it? It's perceived risk. So when you go and you go get a mortgage, you get a 15-year mortgage right now for 2.75%. You know, what's the risk of the bank? The bank's like, eh, you know, OG seems like a nice fella, but if he doesn't pay his bills, we'll come and take his house. Got to have some skin in the game. You got to put a deposit down or a down payment. You got to have some equity in your house. Not a lot of risk for the bank, right? The next level is the home equity loan. The next level is a secured loan, like an automobile. What happens at each one of those levels? The rate of interest that you have to pay to get that debt goes up. And then what do you get when you get to... I'm a 19-year-old that hasn't paid my credit card bills ever in my life, and my credit score is 500, and I got a $1,000 credit limit that somebody just gave me. What's the interest rate on that? 30%. Got to go down to Larry the Loan Shark. Yeah, but the reason why is because there's a pretty good chance that one out of three of those kids aren't going to pay their money back. That's why the loans are so high. So the same thing is true with this. When you've got sovereign debt, people look at it and go, no one's ever going to default on bonds. Well, probably not in the U.S., that's why it's 0.5. But when, when it's six times the number, that factors in the additional risk that you're getting. And some of it may be payback risk, or it may just be that not entirely all of China is fully disclosed. You know, maybe they just keep making stuff up. Who knows? I remember Mark Mobius from uh, Franklin Templeton, a big uh, investor, often appears on many different shows on TV. If you're financial watching your, pornography shows, <laughs> financial pornography, if you're, when you're watching those, mm. ooh, wait, wait, hold on a second. They're getting ready. Here it comes. Look at that chart. Oh, so awesome. the gold index. Wait a minute. The five stocks that he owns that he's just S- got done talking about. It's like Paris Hilton. Sizzle. So hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Phil Bach, who is affiliated with some of the first ETFs that came out. And now runs some of the most successful exchange traded funds. Uh, Phil had a tweet right at the beginning that said, anybody find it weird that at the beginning of coronavirus, when it was mostly in China, and we were just talking about how this was, you know, might spread all over the place, how during that time, the Chinese stock market didn't do anything but go straighter up. And then the second it hit world markets, every other market all over the place shook. He's like, wow, there's, there's, there's nothing weird going on there at all. This mm-hmm. is a very safe place to invest money when you've no idea why a market would keep going the way it's going. When uh, One might argue the same thing is true about the U.S. market <laughs> as of late. But uh, at yeah, least it's quasi-transparent, right? That's true. While we do like to blame it all on Robin Hood, I don't think that there's enough Robin Hood yahoos to move the market that much. Not, not quite. No. But I think the point here is there's this thing that people do, OG, called chasing yield, which is a complete waste of time. Complete. What study after study shows that if you're just hopping from yield to yield to yield, hoping for higher and higher yield, you are wasting your time, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's one thing if you're doing it in, in companies, especially publicly, uh, disclosing companies where you can look at their financials and things like that. But 
you start dealing with the Chinese government. Yeah, individually. Now, I will say, however, that it could make sense, depending on your personal situation, to have foreign bonds, which is basically what this is, foreign government bonds. But you know what? There's way, way, way smarter people out there that do have the ability and resources to research this and also hedge it against other currencies and other countries as well to say, hey, I'm willing to take a little bit of this risk to get a little bit of this return, but I'm not going to put all my money in Chinese sovereign, you know, 10 years. I can instead diversify this with those and with other countries and, and an international uh, bond fund. Well, that would be more international corporations, but I'm saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just like in the U S there's a U.S. government bond funds, right? There's going to be international government funds as well. I think you're looking at something that would be a little bit more appropriate to, to have a fund or an ETF. If you're going to try to do that, as opposed to just sending some dude on China, your 10 grand and seeing if he pays you 300 bucks a year for it. Our second headline comes to us from Fox Business. This is written by Ann Schmidt. How virgins Richard Branson moved past his failed cola brand. He had a cola brand? That was my first question. Richard Branson is a prolific entrepreneur, but not all of his ventures have made it big. For example, Branson's conglomerate Virgin Group started a bridal wear company. Called, come on, called Virgin <laughs> Brides? No way. No, that can't be true. It's right here in the piece. Okay. Virgin Brides. I can, I can see why that might have... Not taken off. 1996, but it lasted until 2007 for nine years. Well, that would be 11 years, but. <laughs> for 11 years. <laughs> new math. Yeah. New math. I'm practicing new math. For 11 years, there were these women walking around saying, I'm a virgin bride. I don't even want to talk about this. No, right that's no, that's not good. According to Business Insider, in 2000, brands and laws launched virgin cars. That'd be new cars, right? New cars. Wouldn't that be? Which sold vehicles online wasn't very popular. Business Insider reported that in three years, the company only sold 12,000 cars. By 2005, it was closed down. But to Branson, this piece reads, that's just part of entrepreneurship. Failure is a necessary part of business. So it's incredibly important for all entrepreneurs and business leaders to know when to call it a day, learn from their mistakes, and move on fast. Branson told Forbes in 2015. I love this piece. I say that's the message. Is that is the message? Throw stuff against the wall. I mean, maybe not that, but you got to track. If, if you're an entrepreneur, or you have rental properties, or whatever your thing is, you have to have metrics for that. You have to have ways to see how you're doing. And if you do, then you can make educated decisions. The ah, I feel like I'm doing okay. Same thing with your financial plan. Ah, I feel like I'm doing okay. And then you do the calculations and go, oh, a little far behind. You know, or well, dang, I'm way far ahead. You got to have metrics along the way to be able. That to is the decisions. first question most people can't answer: is ahead of what or behind? I, yeah. feel, I feel like I'm doing good compared to what? Yeah, compared to what? Uh, the other thing here that I like. Well, there's a couple things. Number one is I remember it was Walt Disney. Believe it or not, OG, I can quote a little Walt Disney. I know you find that shocking. Walt Disney, who? <laughs> I don't know how to do the steamboat Willie whistle. <laughs> who says I have failed? more often than most people have tried. Oh yeah. Yep. I think that's important because failure, natural part of being out there, just realizing that you fail. But the second thing, and this is the hard one, OG, is is knowing when you failed. How often have you had people call you and they have a fund that's made a lot of money? Like, wow, we made a lot of money. We should sell it. None recently. Why? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't make money here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can we make it a joke, people? Yes. We have some. That is a joke. Uh, but but people that say, hey, I want to sell this thing. But then you call them about selling the thing that's wrong, the bad idea. I remember back in the day when Ford was really struggling and I had a new client who, last Tuesday who came from who came from Ford and they had their whole retirement in Ford. Fords. And, and I said, Oh, say that's right. You got to call it Fords, the Fords. You're trying to talk to them about diversification and, and we had to sell some of it. it. In fact, I knew he was going to be so negative about selling it that I even did the wrong thing, which was I had a strategy about selling it a little bit at a time over the course of a year, right? Let's sell it and get down to the right percentage over a year so that he didn't have the sticker shock of let's sell 90% of it now, Mm -hmm. which is what we needed to do. Probably needed to sell 90% of it like seven years before that. Correct. But he said, no, 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 Ford's down. I don't want to sell it when it's down. Let's wait for it to come back. Here's the quote. Wait for it to come back. I like what Richard Branson said here. Listen, we made a mistake. Got too much in the wrong place. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. Get rid of Virgin Brides. Virgin Cola. And instead, focus on our winners. Also helps when you have a couple billion laying around to throw at stuff. It does. But I know some people intimately well that own businesses that they know are failing. I know are failing. Everybody knows the business is failing and they keep doubling down, tripling. No, 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 no. I'm just around the corner. Dude, you've been around the corner for 10 years. Jeez, I didn't know you had such a frank assessment. You can't, you can't get all this. You can't get this time back. Of Doug's business. <laughs> Doug, you've been trying to sell ice cream out of that El Camino for 10 years. Yeah. It is about time. It's melted, dude. To stop. I think that's a, that is a good lesson. Know when to cut. Know when to hold them. Know when when to to fold them. Know when to walk away, dude. Yeah. Know when to run. Don't count your money when you're sitting at the table. Plenty enough time for counting. When the dealing's done. Ever at a time, OG, where your Wi-Fi was struggling to keep up with your streaming? Not my streaming. My kids streaming. (laughs) You're kidding and video game playing and FaceTiming. Five people online at the same time at your house. That's a struggle. Online with two devices. Yeah. What if you've got everybody handling two devices, a streaming, work, gaming, video, calling all at one time? Well, when you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, make sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling, and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. You think with so many kids, OG, that are that are possibly going to be working from home this uh, fall, <sighs> figuring out how to get the Wi-Fi to finally work right, Yeah, might be a little important, and finding out how every part of the house needs Wi-Fi. Because I don't know about you, but when I was at your house with the whole family there. Like I was looking at how can I sit in the back closet by myself with noise canceling headphones on <laughs> just be in my own little world at the, my at the OG household. <laughs> it is a little chaotic at my house, huh? It is a little chaotic. It's fun. It is. It is very fun. The Orbi Wi-Fi six is Wi-Fi perfectly engineered Ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out what makes Netgear America's number one choice for Wi-Fi at netgear.com slash best Wi-Fi. That's netgear.com slash best Wi-Fi. 
I'm super excited today, OG, about our guest and basting is joining us. One thing people don't want to talk about a lot is elder care. And part of it is, is that it, it just feels like you're putting grandma away or putting mom away or putting OG away. One of those things. And instead, this could be a fantastic part of, of someone's life. And Anne has done a ton of work on elder care and has seen some amazing results because, uh, well, you know what? We're going to let her uh, talk about it. But let me tell you who we're talking to here, OG. Ann Basting's a scholar. She's an artist. Her work focuses on the potential for the arts and humanities to transform our lives as individuals and communities. And she, for the last 20 years, has dug into how to infuse the arts into care settings and what that can do for people that have cognitive disabilities like dementia. She has a new book out called Creative Care, A Revolutionary Approach to Dementia and Elder Care, something definitely that costs a lot of money uh, for a lot of people. But today I didn't want to talk about the money aspect because we talk about the money aspect all the time. But if I'm paying for it, OG, I want it to be worthwhile. And uh, Anne's going to talk about creativity and elder care. Let's say hi to and basting. Yeah, not my dad's shortwave radio. It's Sam Basting. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad that you're with us, but I wonder how someone gets so intrigued with the process of aging and of, of elder care. Tell me the story, because this has got to be something good, I would think. You know, it's funny because it's, I'd like it to be this easy story. <laughs> it's so much easier. People always think you must have been super close to your grandma or some simple explanation, but it's an unfolding over time that starts with me being one of those kids, uh, maybe you knew one or two of them, who got along with adults better than kids, people your own age, people my own age. And in middle school, kind of, I found them perplexing. <laughs> and probably equal, but, you know, vice versa. They, they found me perplexing. But um, so I hung out, you know, with adults uh, taking art classes. And, and I did have close friendships with my grandma. I didn't see her all that often. But um, I think it was just an accumulation of those things that then kind of led me to a place where I found myself visiting my grandmother in a nursing home and figuring out that she'd had a stroke, she couldn't speak, really figuring out that, wow, she can still tell stories if I change how I invite those stories out. And we still had a relationship, even though she couldn't talk. I found that so fascinating that I think it just caught me and kept me um, interested. Um, how, how, could yeah. she, how could she tell stories without speaking? She had a crooked little finger that she would point. It was sort of <laughs> bent with arthritis. And then she had a, a sound and she was very emphatic. So she could guide you through a series of, uh, you know, like the game 20 questions with her. It was about 500 questions. But at the end of it, you'd be guided to this very specific story that you sort of realized you had just told, but she had somehow guided you through. It was really fascinating. That is you know, you talked about visiting her in a nursing home. You more than anyone 
would know the way that uh, elder care works now versus the way that maybe we we hope that it should. How do you think elder care needs to change? Oh goodness. <laughs> Uh, how long do we have? Um, <laughs> well, I think <clears throat> first of all, no one no one wants to live in what we associate with nursing homes now. That is never anyone's plan, and yet we need them still. We need something like that that supplies that level of care, just because we're frail human beings that are living. You know, that's the happy news. A long time, so we have to figure out how to update the model that was built on a hospital, like transitory, temporary care. And we just moved that model into nursing homes. Um, They're double loaded corridors that if you're in them, you think I'm in a hospital or a poor farm or something. And if you have any kind of dementia, you're like, why am I here? I don't know why I'm here. And it's really, they're designed to keep people alive, but not to be growing and learning and experiencing life until they pass away. So it, it, they're cut off. They're filled with shame. They're filled with stigma. And we, we really have to stop that. Otherwise, the last, I don't know, 15 years of our lives, we're just throwing out the window. And talk about untapped potential of human beings. There's a lot that needs to happen. And the good news is, I think, in this COVID moment, that there's a there's cracks all over the system and people who've been fighting for change for a long time are starting to get into those cracks and starting to fight for policy change that'll make meaningful differences. Well, one of the first big ahas of many I had when I was reading your book was that you define the word care more broadly than I've seen before. Tell me, how do you define care maybe a little differently than most? Well, I think up until this point, we've focused on really a lot of the physical care that that people need, um, particularly in late life. And that's what nursing homes are built on and making sure that your physical needs are, are taken care of. But care is much more holistic. There's not just the physical needs. There's also the full fullness of the wellness of psychological and spiritual needs that that is where we're really falling down and not meeting those. And that's where the good news is I can help my neighbor with that. You know, I can help people close by that I don't have to be involved in physical care to be part of supporting someone in a, in a larger care sense. It's funny because when you wrote that in the book, I got this I get this big aha, and then you transition into what this also means for, quote, caregivers, because now we don't have just a caregiver. We're kind of caring for, we can care for each other instead of having one person who's exhausted and may, you know, you've seen the statistics, Anne, about how early caregivers die, right? This this kind of solved that whole problem as well. Yeah, I talk about this misnomer that we've had in the in our perception of care, which is what I call kind of the empty vessel model, where you've got two people, one of the vessels is empty, and the other is full. And in what we have so far imagined caregiving to be, the full person empties themselves into the the empty vessel so that they're filled up. But then you, you end up with a depleted caregiver. The approach that I'm trying to urge people for is a much more reciprocal model of care, where you're looking at the strengths, not just the losses, 
that the person that you're caring with, your care partner, um, has so that you can build on those strengths and invite that person to exercise their strengths so that the caregiver is also nourished in the process. That It can be a joint exploration and a process of growth in the care relationship. Well, and this brings up the word that's in your title, creativity. So tell me about how creativity is fundamental to this approach. I've been in the arts my whole life, and then I've been working in the care system as almost you know 30 years as well. And bringing those two words together was natural to me. But then when I sat down and kind of looked at it, I was like, oh my goodness, they're, they're perceived as opposites. That care is perceived as this as, as predicated on loss and creativity, the definition is adding something new to the world that has value. And so it is seen as this generative process that makes something almost out of nothing. You can, you can be creative in, with words that you just make up out of your head. So while one is generative, the other is built on loss. And if you bring them together, you can reorient the way we understand care to become generative in and of itself. You can grow and create something valuable through care. Tell me about some of the things you've seen people create when you've implemented this. Oh my goodness, there's there's really no end to it. We, uh, The nonprofit I started, Time Slips, um, calls it, it's Time Slips Creative Storytelling. And we called it that because Creativity makes some people uneasy, like, oh, I'm not creative, that you hear that all the time. But story, somehow people were less resistant to that. So we're like, okay, we'll just call everything a story. And then people will feel like they can do it. So we've done, you can tell a story through movement um, and create original choreography. You can tell a story through words and do poems or written stories. We've created plays with people. You can do story through color and line and texture, uh, through visual art and music as well, creating patterns and rhythms and choosing a pitch and uh, if you want something to go high or low. And there's really no end to what's possible to create. I have <laughs> I have so many questions about this. I want to first focus on you as the traditionally we call it the caregiver and you talk about getting away from the empty vessel and the full vessel. So how does this nurture you then as the person who is the traditional caregiver? You know, I um, one of the chapters is called Beautiful Questions. That's how I describe a question that you ask to meet the person where they are and open up a shared path of discovery. There's no right or wrong answer and learning to ask the beautiful question as a caregiver is a, is a real art. But when you figure it out, you basically are avoiding conflict and nourishing yourself and the other person at the same time. It's really quite profound. An example would be actually, <laughs> it's interesting. My father is caregiving for my mother now, who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He told me about a moment when... They had gone out to dinner. They'd had this wonderful time with friends. They got home and mom said, do you want me to set the table? And he easily, in a lot of situations, caregivers would get upset. We just had this beautiful dinner. What do you mean you don't know that we ate dinner? Of course we, you know, I, you know, and just frustrated and sad. But instead he paused and he asked her, 
are you hungry? She said, no, we ate already, didn't we? Yes. Tell me about how you're feeling. And it was walking around the conflict to where she was instead of confronting with facts and trying to to correct or being angry at a process that we really have no control over. I'm sure that you've seen some empirical data about what this does for someone who maybe is in your mom's state. Have you found a difference in longevity? In I'm sure you found a difference in just quality of life. That's a good thing about the last maybe 10 years or so. There's been sort of an outpouring of research on this. I, I think it comes from a little bit of cure fatigue. <laughs> We've been told for 25 years that a cure is five years away. And uh, I think people are like, you know what? Let's invest in care right now. because <laughs> yeah. We know a lot about how to improve the quality of our lives. One study that we did on the time slips improvisational storytelling approach, where we use images to then invite store imagination based stories um, found that it improved the quality and the quantity of engagement between staff and elders in a nursing home on a Alzheimer's unit, and also the amount of communication coming from the person with Alzheimer's. A lot of times what happens is the person afraid of saying something wrong will edit themselves into silence. And so then the disease process just goes more quickly. And if you keep someone talking, you can understand and form relationship much more as well. I have not had someone in my immediate family with Alzheimer's. My wife's aunt has. But when I was taking care of a um, a client's money who had no close relatives, it was actually a friend of his from college who ended up being his, his uh, caregiver. And what was frustrating was, but I got to make the phone call and tell him that this guy that you haven't seen in 30 years, you'll be taking care of. But one thing I remember from that was was people reminding us not to be frustrated when people would say, like your mom did to you, you, you know, where does this bowl go? Because I have to imagine when your mom says something like that to you or, or your mom says to your dad, uh, should I set the table? Your initial thing I would think would be to be very frustrated. Well, I think it, you have to sort out if you're angry at the disease and, yeah. you know, fate yeah. <laughs> or if you're angry at the person. Because really, whatever's happening in the brain is not their fault. All behavior is communication. And someone is just trying to tell you something. You just have to kind of be a detective and figure out that creativity is an, and the arts are an emotional and symbolic language. That when someone loses control of rational language for whatever disease process is happening you can communicate through that emotional and symbolic language. It's really a powerful tool to learn the techniques of. I want to ask you, it started off with a lesson, I think, with, with you and your grandmother. But then you talk about also just groups with young people who there's this powerful intergenerational thing going on with some groups. And I found this fantastic. Is, is the name of the group, it was the capital S-A-I-R, is it pronounced the SARE program? Yeah, we call it SARE, Student Artists in Residence. It's fascinating, but we've kind of broken the generational tie. There, there are three generational households, and even now in this moment of COVID, even more so since a lot of college students came home. But 
people's day-to-day lives tend to be very age segregated. And the best way we could really think to give students this incredible experience of working with older adults was to put them on a peer level in exchange for a year's room and board at a care community. They offer workshops in some form of creative engagement. Um, they don't have to be experts. I mean, these students are learning their craft as well, but they they can be really creative about how they invite their neighbors into expression. We've had dancers and choreographers, poets, theater artists, musicians, and visual artists, all of them for just having really transformative experiences by living in care communities. Yeah, I'm just thinking of, you say it's transformative. I can't imagine, and the lessons that they learn from from these people, they must learn so much. I, I can just imagine, you know, they talk about kids being wise beyond their years, and that's a way to get a lot more wisdom. You know, I think one of the most profound things we're experiencing now as well, which is students have written in their reflection papers about how they learn that they're sort of the time schedule that they're on, this hyper busyness and productivity is not at all what other people necessarily live on (laughs) and that they have control of it. One student talked about being really frustrated by how slow it was to get on the elevators and that that's where it took so long for elders to get on and off. And then she said, you know, it made me realize that that's where all the relationship building happened. And I slowed down there and got to know everyone and just came to treasure the elevator time rather than allowing it to frustrate me. And I just thought that was really profound as an observation. It's so amazing. The book is called Creative Care, a Revolutionary Approach to Dementia in Elder Care. I assume, and it's available everywhere. Pretty much, yeah. Especially, you know, everything's online these days. So it's uh, any any online bookseller uh, and independent bookstores now have bookshop.org. That all supports independent booksellers. Yeah, we will link to that. We'll also link to timeslips.org on our show notes page. And thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us talking about creative care. I really appreciate it. No problem. It was my pleasure. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's very fit, very young, very far from needing any elder care neighbor Doug. You know what? Stackers, everything down here in the basement's really starting to show its age. You got creaky floorboards, some weird stuff on the ceiling that's probably older than me, and canned peaches I'm sure have been in the pantry since the Second World War. This place is OLD old. But the more concerning thing is Joe. I mean, let's get real here for a minute. I think I need to work myself up to a little conversation with Joe, since as we all know all too well, he's really getting up there in age. The guy doesn't have any hair. I don't know how much longer he'll be with us, and I think it's time for the talk. Not the one where you take their car keys away, but like the other big talk. While I get mentally prepared, here's today's trivia. What is the average annual cost of private nursing home care per year in the USA. Is it closest to 50,000, 70,000, 90,000, or over 100,000? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can drink your prune juice. 
Hey, if it's time to pay off your student loans or if you're confused right now about what student loans to pay off, which ones are uh, deferred right now because of COVID, that deferment's ending uh, fairly soon here. Well, guess what? You can find out everything you need to know at Student Loan Hero by LendingTree. Not only will you find out everything that you need to know about refinancing student loans, but you can also talk about ways to lower your payments and even in some cases forgiveness. They have everything from the best banks to refinance and consolidate student loans at this year, everything you need to know about income-based repayment and the complete list of student loan forgiveness programs and options. Talk about refinancing your student loans, refinancing parent plus loans, private student loans. You can also look at bad credit personal loans, look at side hustles that might make sense for you. You can check out their calculators like the monthly payment calculator, deferment calculator, interest deduction calculator, prepayment calculator, take some of the quizzes. They've got a bunch of must-reads articles. It's all at Student Loan Hero. You're somebody with student loans. There's no other place to start. If you're ready to get working on your student loan strategy, studentloanhero.com. Hey, young and hip and certainly not old trivia fans. I mean, all my fans are like young and virile and good looking. And I mean, of course, they're fans of mine, right? I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I hate to break it to y'all, but I'm not sure how much longer Joe's going to be able to keep up and continue to host this podcast. There are a few concerning things about Joe. One, when you're old, you lose your hair. And that guy, he's got, it's gone. Uh, find me a young person who likes board games as much as Joe. So there's number two right there. And he tells the same, the same stories over and over and over again. Like you haven't already heard them a thousand times. And these aren't like short stories. He's off on tangents. He's talking about how like the second century relates to his trip to the Citadel or something. I mean, it's just mind numbing listening to the dude. And most concerning, he sold his house and now he's staying with family and friends. He's just like vagabond between us. I'm pretty sure that's because he's scared he'll fall down and won't be able to get back up when he's all alone. So he's got to be with people all the time, right? I mean, the writing's on the wall here. I think it's time Uh, The time has come that we should seriously consider suggesting Joe find a nice retirement home and probably take his car keys away. I mean, if you're ridden in the car with the dude, it's terrifying. Anyway, uh, we love you, buddy, uh, but it's time. It's just time. Before I deliver the message, I got your trivia answer right here. The question was, what is the average annual cost of private nursing home care per year? While costs vary widely across the country, if you guessed that the average annual cost is closest to $90,000, then you'd be right. In fact, the average cost is $87K, which means this is definitely something that you want to keep in mind for your long-term financial plans because it can break your bank in a hurry. Break your bank? Break, Break your bank. Break your bank. Well, time to go help Joe into a home of his own. See ya! Big thanks to Am for stopping by. You know, OG, this is what I was alluding to at the top of the show. Tracy McCubbin, the fantastic organizational expert we've had on the show, talked about for older people, older people have their house filled with these pictures of times that they had, fun that they had. And she said, not only is it clutter, it also means that you're living life increasingly in the rearview mirror. Why fill your house with stuff in the rearview mirror? Like a vision board instead? 
Absolutely. Well, th- well, think about what Ann's talking about, about having, having people be creative, having seniors be creative because the creativity doesn't, doesn't go away. People are very creative, but you ask grandma to remember something like she said, she gets frustrated and you get frustrated and everybody gets frustrated. So don't do that. But then Austin Cleon, right? Austin Cleon talked about the, the role of creativity in having a great business. So when I hear a gerontologist and today a business coach like Austin Cleon and an organizational expert all say, spend your time on creativity in the future and not on remembering what you did in the past. Man, I think we got, I think we got something there. I like uh, creativity approach a heck of a lot better than the happy Gilmore approach. If you remember that scene, my fingers hurt. Oh, well, oh. Now your back's going to hurt because you just pulled landscaping duty. Hmm. Anybody else's fingers hurt? I didn't think so. Terrible scene. I love Ben Stiller's mustache. Oh, yeah. In that scene, but he's got this just awful handlebar Mm -hmm. mustache. I think, uh, no, the creativity. We don't need them creating quilts for us, like in Ben Stiller's. No, no. I do think it is this the time slips idea. By the way, we as I mentioned earlier, we'll link to time slips, her organization, mm-hmm. and also to Anne's work uh, and this book on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Great, great stuff. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, OG, and we'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first, not getting gardening duty. Yeah. Landscaping duty. (laughs) Arts and crafts time has been expended for three hours. (laughs) Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first, your loved ones in your time, it says here. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. If you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free quote. Application is simple online and Mass Mutual 160-year-old insurer issues the policy. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Adam. Say hi, Adam. Hey, Joe and OG. A couple weeks back, you had an episode about target date funds, and I found out you basically don't like them very much. I'm looking for some advice on 529 plans for my kids. My kids won't need them for another, need the money for another 15 years or so, but I'm currently enrolled in some target date funds for that date, which seems like it's in the future really far, but... I would like to know your advice on how to plan for that money when it needs to come out. Anything you can do to help me out would be great. Thanks. Hey, thanks for that question, Adam. And and I thought we were kind of uh, specific here, Adam, and I'll apologize if we weren't. I think we feel a little differently about target date funds, OG, when it comes to college, because you do need all the money then on a specific day. Yeah, pretty much. I think you have to look at each state because each state has its own company that runs it, which in turn have their own products inside of that. And some of them are good and some of them are not good. In fact, I would say in the 529 space, I bet you it's probably 70, 30, not good to good, if you will. Three that we like very much. Uh, myself, by the way, I'll say I like the Fidelity Unique Plan. I think that that's a, a good responsible plan with good funds inside of it. Vanguard has their Utah plan, which I think is, mm-hmm. is, is very good. Um, and then I also like the Alaska plan. Uh, T. Rowe Price runs that plan. Those are three. Yeah, our three go-to is probably the Utah one, unless you get a tax credit in your state. Yeah, watch and out then, for and, that tax and, credit. And then you, then you got to take advantage of that probably. But um, 
I, I don't know that our way is the right way to do it, but I can tell you how we do it, which is pretty much all stock. Well, that's almost the whole kit caboodle anyway for us, but but almost all stock, you know, split that US, not US, you know, you can get a little more granular and say, you know, maybe some large company, small company and international if you want three funds. But either way, I'm going to go pretty much all US stock until my kid gets to be a freshman in high school. When they go to a freshman in high school, I'm going to take their freshman of college money out and put it into something safe and secure, a bond fund, a cash fund, you know, whatever is going to be guaranteed to be there in four years. And then I'll have three years of money that's invested in my sophomore year. I take the sophomore year money out, junior year, junior, senior, senior. And by the time they get done with their senior year, or actually, I guess by the time they start their senior year, they will have then transitioned all of their portfolio from being all stock to basically all cash or fixed income. Uh, because now you're going to start writing checks. You're safely taking it out then. Yeah. Because I think, you know, and I haven't done any research to suggest that this actually works all the time. I guess nothing works all the time, but four years seems like a long enough time horizon that if I've done well up to then, if I've done great savings up to then, you know, by taking one quarter of my portfolio and moving it to cash, effectively you're going from a hundred percent stock portfolio to a 75, 25 portfolio with four years to go. And then a 50, 50 portfolio, then a 25, 75, and then a zero 100 over that four year period. So it's kind of like you're creating your own target date fund anyway. But I don't know how target date funds do it. I think most of them in 529s start that decrease of equity exposure much, much sooner, you know, like around age 12 or or 10 even I've seen. And to me, that just seems a little ridiculous. Yeah, but still not as egregious as what we were talking about the other day and what we often talk about, which is for retirement. I think a target date fund is less poor choice, be less poor choice yeah. than for retirement. I agree. Yeah, because you're using it in a short time. Thanks for the question, Adam. See how easy that was? Adam asked us a straightforward question, and we are going to send him a straightforward Greatest Money Show on Earth t-shirt so that he can show everybody uh, what a badass he is for calling in to the Stacking Benjamin Show. That's going to do it for today. A lot of people to thank. Doug is going to handle that. What a great, great show. Well, what a great couple of weeks of shows we've had. And, I'm wondering uh, if you could use the word great one more time. It's been great. But a lot of people to thank for those shows. Man, we got a good show coming up on Friday, by the way. At least I think it's great. So you say. So I say. Hey, uh, thanks to everybody who's left us a review. Mom, I would just went upstairs. Mom, put this one on the fridge. Oh, geez. This is from Grusha. Awesome content. Five stars. Says kudos. Looking forward to your upcoming shows. Another ex- exclamation point. Lots of exclamation points from Grusha. Grusha must like us a lot, but uh, big thanks to Grusha for that review. Also, if you're somebody who's looking for good financial planning help in your corner, much more than just a 529 question for college like Adam had, guess what? OG and his team are taking new clients. So while the doors are open, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG, and that will put you on their calendar so you can see how you can interface with their financial planning team. All right, that's going to do it for today, I think. Great day. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Can't remember, can you, Joe? Ugh, the memory's fading. The memory's fading, man. There's like clue number six. Got to put you in the home. Okay, fine. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take a lesson from our headline. Interested in taking a business or career risk? Don't forget your safety net. But don't be afraid to fall on your face either. 
doesn't hurt that much. Second, take a lesson from Ann Basting, allowing elders to freely share ideas and stories without worrying about getting the details correct is a proven way to stimulate the brain and awaken the imagination for the elders in our lives. You hear that, Joe? Just keep telling your stories. We love them. No, we don't. But the big takeaway, when I told Joe we're taking him to a home, he replied that mentally he's younger than I am. I guess I kind of had to agree because, well, mentally I'm easily the wisest person here. But then he said that means we should find me a home. Joe, come on, man. Like, nobody, nobody's going to believe you there. Who'd want to hide this brilliance? I mean, why would you just stuff this away in a corner like we want to do for you uh, when you've got to keep this brilliance like out in the wild, just spreading my greatness? Anyway, let's spend more time talking to Ann Basting, shouldn't we? She's brilliant. Freedom for all of us. Freedom! Big thanks to Ann Basting for joining us today. You'll find her breakthrough book, Creative Care, wherever books are sold. Or if you want to support independent bookstores and the show, buy it through our bookshop.org link on the show notes page. You'll buy it from a nearby independent bookseller and they'll send us a little thank you. And who doesn't love getting those cute little thank you cards with like kittens on it or some flowers? It's so nice. Hey, thanks to everybody who's already done that already. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. Oh, gee, I got to play this for you. Please. This is, this is uh, funny. This, well, I thought it was funny. I just think it's funny that you co-opted my desk and I'm relegated to sitting over here. Oh, this isn't my desk. It I thought is, it is a nice desk though, isn't it? it, it yeah, I got to tell you, this is a comfortable chair. It also is a comfortable chair. Yeah. Yeah, I bought an expensive chair, you know, back in the day when I had a desk. And card table. <laughs> and that chair I thought was great. Your your chair's better. Right, nice of you to say. I really like the desk.
I do like the desk. This is uh, one of those standing desks. We've not been standing. No. But uh, yeah, but you could if you wanted. Yeah. That's, if I, the, that's the key. Hey, if I want to, I if could stand If you wanted up. to stand, it would be possible. But I don't have to prove to you that I can stand up. Yeah, exactly. I don't have to prove it to anybody. Apologies here to those of you who are in our Facebook group, The Basement. Uh, our friend, uh, Kathy Klein, she has the Rock Your Retirement podcast. Really? Isn't that Roger Whitney's show? No, that's the Retirement Answer Man podcast. Oh. His his book, which came out after Kathy already had the Rocky Retirement podcast, is called Rock Retirement. Huh. Yes, but very close to the same. She also... She needs to start saying TM after her stuff. I know, right? Roger's going to steal all her crap. <laughs> Roger. Uh, she also, by the way, runs uh, uh, Medicare Insurance Specialty Business, MedicareQuick.com. I think we'll... We had to get Kathy on the show very soon. But for now, Kathy posted this to the uh, basement Facebook group. And I thought it was funny enough that we, we definitely got to share this. This is a local news affiliate. Uh, I don't know which local news it is, but tell me, OG, if you agree with this, this is a, a segment about a school teacher. Well, you know, we'll let, we'll let the anchor set it up. In isolation, people working from home, they're trying to figure out things to do with their families, uh, things to figure out how to pass the time. Yeah. Lindsay and Kels, a lot of teachers have been going online and coaches trying to, trying to help out their students and, and their athletes. Um, this one teacher in particular, music teacher, I thought was phenomenal. Not only did she pick up an instrument and decide to help out her student and spread some joy, but she wrote a song and as inspiration, she was going to share what she's been going through and how it makes her feel. Sure while she's in isolation. Have a look. Hey, so as some of you guys might know, I'm a music teacher and I found that one of the best ways that I can process the whole transition to online learning and teaching is to write a song. So I wrote a song. I'd like to share that with you guys now. Here we go. I know a few parents feel that way. That's pretty funny. I th I thought that was great. And then the rest of this is just the anchors losing it. I thought the one anchor did a great job of setting it up without. Did they know, you think? She did. She had a straight face all the time, but everybody else on that morning show had no idea. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening to this that have also had that feeling. Like they could write a song that goes like that. Well, and now, you know, here we are the middle of July. And guess what? School starts in three weeks for us, four weeks. Something like that. So, but then you got every school system around the country doing something and different. Everybody now is going. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you know in a little while. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna let you know in a little while. We're gonna let you know in a little while. It's like a little while's running out. Yeah. And yeah. imagine you know a working parents right. Wow. I mean, this is a how do you handle like you this? haven't had a break. You know, our kids our kids left for uh, spring break. I mean, they didn't go anywhere, but. Last time they were in school was the week before spring break, the week, the end of February, basically, and came back to this nonsense. So they finished out school the last basically uh, three months, 10 weeks, maybe. And now it's looking and I get what the problem, you know, the thing that's irritating is that it's a no win situation. Agreed. I mean, if you're an administrator, you have a pretty good sense of what you're doing, but 
you kind of want to just kind of drag your feet a little because, hey, you know, maybe things get better and, or, you know, there some guy comes out and goes, hey, if you gargle Kool-Aid instead of salt water, it's better. You know, maybe that's the cure. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, if you we know, all do the safety dance in unison. It, well, the thing is, is that I think, I don't remember who said this. I don't know if you told me this or somebody said, oh, oh, it's a, a different thing. But anyways, the person who's in charge of this activity said, said that he was advised by, you know, all these doctors and physicians and all these people take until the last minute to make your decision because every day there's new data. I think we would have all said at the beginning of June, like, Hey, we're good. We're good, man. It's the beginning of June. Everything's great. Eh, maybe it's not so great now, but maybe by the beginning of August, it'll be great again. And so if you're a decision maker, somebody who's got to figure this, all this crap out, you've got to have plans, A, B, C, D, E, and F on the shelf ready to go. Because if you said, all right, listen, we're going to put the kids in school. Well, I think in some areas, people call you crazy right now. Yeah. But maybe that turns out to be okay. Right. But you don't even get your message out before you get start, you know, you just get lambasted by everybody. So you just got to wait. Or maybe you're thinking in the back of your head, like, oh, I don't think we can do school right now. But if you say that, now you've got all the parents and everybody else going crazy, going, oh my God, how am I going to do this again for another three months? Like I've already dealt with it. And then you get to the second week of August when our kids start and maybe things are better. And now you got people who are like, I made all these plans. The kids could be in school. You know what I mean? So it's just, uh, it's a good thing. I don't, I'm not a decision maker because <laughs> no, guess what? what? I'd have made decisions in February that, have, that a lot of people would have disagreed with. If it were you and, and now, I going back to this dumb show that I told, you know, everyone I was watching the order, you know how they decide that you and I would do this the same way. OG, if we were deciding if, if school were opening or not, you know what we would do? We'd have a beer pong tournament. <laughs> Loser has to go to school. How do you do that? Loser has to make the decision and say, oh, okay. I decided. Yeah. Yeah. After drinking all the beers. <laughs> and then you, and then, you know, see what the thing is, what you have to do is you have to put all of your decision-making online, like on Twitter or Facebook. Like this is how I've decided. Like, so I think that this is all this way and you guys are all that way. And you know, whatever. If I hadn't missed the third solo cup in a row, I would have not had to make this decision. I want to see a superintendent say that. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course we know what a giver he is, even when he, pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 